You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM. Quiet on the set. Camera speed. Sound production. Welcome, welcome everyone to Movie Night with Sif. I'm your host, Gabby, and here with me, we have my co-host, Matt, who is Sif's production manager. Say hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. With films and shows like Ghostbusters Afterlife, The Last of Us, and Under the Banner of Heaven rolling all over our great province, it's hard to deny that it's been an incredible couple of years for Alberta's screen industry. Luckily for us, these big-budget productions are not just being produced in Alberta, but by Albertans. This has been made possible partly thanks to people like today's guest, Tom Benz. Tom is the motion picture business agent at IATSE 212. For those of you who don't know, IATSE is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, which supports over 150,000 workers in entertainment industries such as live theater, motion picture, and television. Tom has been one of our most prolific production managers since the 1980s, bringing over 40 years of experience managing dozens of projects in Alberta with up to eight-figure budgets. He's been a powerful advocate for the independent filmmaking community and has helped unions and guilds to ensure more jobs for members of our local production community. Here to tell us all about life in Alberta's screen scene is Tom Benz. Hi, Tom. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to hear it. We're so happy to have you on the pod. Are you a Sith fan? Very much so. Uh, I've been attending it uh, uh, for years uh, before my time as a business agent, which is seven years now. With my involvement with IATSE, SIF's been a great partner and a lot of fun uh, every year. So Tom, what the heck do you do? I, I feel like you're one of those people that's the kind of behind the giant green curtain controlling the entire industry, pulling the strings. Can you give us a rundown of, of your day-to-day? Well, um, I actually don't know what I'm doing. After 40 years, I have this huge encyclopedia of what not to do, and I guide my, my day by that. Literally, as a line producer, or even now as a business agent, I find myself on the line trying to talk with creators and, and, and builders of a show and try to connect them with the people that actually make their show, which are the technicians and the craftspeople of IATSE, as well as the managerial director's unit of the Director's Guild. All we need is a camera for uh, uh, to make a film. And so now, instead of looking after money as a line producer, I look after the people that actually make the film, and uh, I really am enjoying myself. That sounds like a great time. Let's go back in time. Let's go back to the beginning. Take us back to sort of 1980s Alberta. What was the first set you were on, and what was that experience like? My first set was a show called Powderheads shot in uh, Jasper, and it was a ski bum movie uh, in the days when the motorhome, I was a motorhome driver, and uh, the bathroom, the makeup chair, the uh, producer's office would all be in the motorhome. And so as a motorhome driver, I got to park right next to the camera, watch how a film was made, and started to uh, envision my role in that. And that was the late 1970s. During the 1980s, we actually had a larger uh, film industry than Vancouver. When the government uh, in British Columbia started really supporting the motion picture business, Vancouver took off. And that was 1983-ish, so to speak. Some of the series that came here with Stephen Cannell left to go to uh, Vancouver. So we've, uh. we've grown since then and found our, our own niche. But at one time, uh, you know, our first union film made in Alberta was actually 1917. It was called The Canadians. 
And in those days, Hollywood didn't advertise where they shot. It added to the mystery of why you watched the film in the first place. Today, it's far more uh, connected with tourism. And films uh, have another level of marketing by, by being able to discuss where they actually shot the film. That's so cool. I'd never thought about that, about keeping it, keeping the mystery. But I think people nowadays, they watch a movie and they're like, I'm going to go to that mountain tomorrow. And then you have to be like, guess what? It's in Canmore. Um, it's good for us. Good for our, good for our economy. Um, I just want to ask you again, like, what would you compare that experience? Like, how would you compare it to something in 2022? Like these new kids who are coming in, how is their experience different to what yours was when you started? There's, there's two big words. One is digital. Now we have computers. When I first started, we had pencils and electric erasers. Um, <laughs> so that has changed, but also the technology. Celluloid is, is all but extinct, with exception of a few diehard artists. The digital world has opened up a lot of options for the filmmaker to tell their stories. And one of the things that the digital phenomenon has done to film is it's made things faster. In the, mm. in the old days, we used to have to develop the film and send it to the editor. Now we can send it to the editor in real time, anywhere in the world. And uh, you can have editors in different parts of the world collaborating on something that's being shot in Calgary. Yeah, Those things have opened the imagination of all filmmakers, young and old. Older filmmakers are now making film in a new way. It's no longer film. It's motion picture. <laughs> the, the technology and the ability now for a filmmaker to be able to go to their desktop, get their iPhone out, and do it all is extraordinary. And the quality that filmmakers without the studio support system and training system can come up with is extraordinary. Any little filmmaker can compete with the big guys daily. And it's just figuring out the story, how to make it, how to tell it, and how to distribute it in the end. But the technology now is available to so many more people, and that'll mean more stories in the long run. I mean, we're seeing a lot of high-profile productions coming to Alberta these days. Do you have any insight kind of what's behind that, that are sort of our more recent boom? Well, actually, um, it isn't so recent. It's just continuing. The interesting thing is that our jurisdiction here in southern Alberta has long been a center for uh, offshore producers. Uh, we carry the most nominations and prizes for the American Awards of the, the uh, Academy Awards and others. We, at times, have more of those nominations and prizes for American motion picture than the rest of Canada combined. If you notice the awards that Alberta's been uh, nominated for, many of them are cinematography. I, mm. I, I had the pleasure of doing Brokeback Mountain with Rodrigo Prieto, the, the cinematographer. And, you know, when you think of Legends of the Fall, when you think of Little Big Man, when you think of The Unforgiven, all of these pictures were either nominated for and or won the best cinematography. The Revenant did the same when they came here. And they 
literally made their shooting schedule around the best light that Alberta could offer. It was not uncommon for that show to prep for 11 hours and shoot for one just at wow. just oh, just at the right time. So it's these kinds of pictures that come to Alberta, they give a cinematographer a lot more license to capture the moment and we have a great track record of getting the prize. That will never go away. The light will always be here. It'll always look different on the eastern slopes than it does on the western slopes. Mm. And the only thing that we have difficulty replicating in Alberta is the ocean. And with digital technology, just wait, we'll do that too. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the scenery is a, is a big part of it. But is there anything, you know, is there any anything happening behind the scenes, like economically, that's making productions come here specifically? Well, it's the access to the scenery too. to go back to your first part. Calgary, within a short travel space from its international airport, can depict many places within the world. We also very quickly change from urban to rural settings. And so we, we can lose a lot of the modern infrastructure if we have to consider a period pictures. But getting to the incentives of Alberta, for the longest time, it's been hard to sell to the Alberta politicians and the Alberta government that motion picture actually can be a sustainable industry. Right. And it, at its core, is a manufacturing industry. We manufacture a product that has a value in the marketplace. It's sold. It makes the producers money to make another picture. And it is a manufacturing industry. And it is finally being recognized for mu much more than supporting artists, which is mm. very, very important, but sometimes understated in a resource-rich uh, jurisdiction. Well, I had read that uh, Calgary Economic Development reported that the province saw $560 million worth of production in 2021 compared to $255 million in 2019. Are we seeing the impact of that? Like, Or I guess, what is the impact of that on crews here? And not even just economically, but like, are we seeing some of these people move up into creative positions as well? Oh, absolutely. We're seeing young producers getting noticed for being in Alberta being noticed for the quality of the community that they're in, and they're getting chances. We are uh, engaged with the lowest budgets of pictures, and we see those uh, producers, directors, and talent rise and get recognized from some of their earliest work to become employed when the big studios come to town. Some of our young filmmakers have taken their projects to con and we do have that kind of talent we need to give them opportunity to nurture but we've got the people here the opportunities to put them on the set are growing and we'll benefit from that yeah sounds like an amazing time to be a filmmaker um heading back to the to the location thing because this is what i'm very interested in this now what is like the one that everyone asked for? What is the location that like you see coming up the most? I know there's a variety of different projects that need a variety of different locations, but like what's the one that people are like, I need that? Always the one we don't have. <laughs> <laughs> but Brokeback Mountain was shot. The Brokeback Mountain itself was Moose Mountain just outside of Calgary uh, on the eastern oh, cool. on the eastern slopes. 
Moose Mountain has been used in a lot of pictures, just like Fortress Mountain. When, mm-hmm. when I did the unit shoot for Shanghai Nights, we put uh, Jackie Chan on top of one of the peaks uh, <laughs> uh, right outside of Fortress Mountain. You see locations being used time and time again, and the directors and the cinematographers make it look like you've been there for the first time. Mm. We have some absolutely astounding uh, purpose-built Western towns, I think six of them around uh, Calgary, Uh, to see a lonesome dove being shot in one of them, and then seeing uh, uh, many decades later, Togo coming, the Disney film with uh, um, Will Defoe, shooting in the same place. One's Nome, Alaska. The other one is somewhere in Montana. And they look so different, and yet they're the same place. Another gem that we have, of course, is Drumheller and the Brooks area and the Dinosaur Park area. Uh, We've gotten science fiction films, prehistoric plots, yeah, it's a perfect place for that. Uh, you know, as well as modern day ordinary uh, uh, time uh, pictures. When I did Dead Bang as a location manager, we did 16 states. Don Johnson was a, a, a cop who chased a murderer across 16 or 17 states. It was all shot in the greater Cal- no Calgary way. area, with the exception of the LA freeways. That's how the picture started. Mm. But we brought palm trees into Bowness and, and, <laughs> and made that an L.A. Uh, district. So Calgary's adaptable. And Calgary, although it uh, entertains a lot of pictures, has not been overshot. Uh, it's, it's not been overexposed. Yeah. And so the, the shows keep coming. It's interesting. Fargo 1, 2, and 3 shot here. Fargo Mm -hmm. 4 went to Chicago with a specific plot that I have to admit, we could not do 1960s Chicago very well here, Yeah, but they're back. And one of the things I can tell you about Fargo, they don't want one, two, three, or five looking anything like each other, but four Mm -hmm. of them will have been shot in Calgary. And that speaks to how adaptable we are. And that speaks to the kind of producers we attract time and time again. The potential is here. I don't believe it's ever been unlocked or potential been reached. As I mentioned earlier, we had all that success before the incentives. And now we're developing uh, incentives that really can put Albertans to work. Amazing. Going to the, to the boom situation, what that's been like for workers, we heard that in the past year, IATSE has welcomed like a record amount of new members. Yet, you know, sort of recently it's been reported that there's still a shortage of skilled TV and film workers. I mean, not surprising considering how much business we're doing. As part of an organization that deals directly with workers, what's the approach towards continuing to grow that worker base? Well, uh, the, the trick is not so much training the workers. It's convincing the employers that they're ready to go on to their set. Uh, I understand the pressure of everybody wanting the top Academy Award crew experience on their crew, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot more film being shot than simply the ones that demand that standard of of, uh, technician. We train a lot of people. It's about finding opportunities for them. I know uh, that I've spent my entire career on the Canadian prairies. I consider myself as extremely lucky. And I often 
look at the question, how was I so lucky and how will other Albertans get as lucky as Tom? (laughs) The thing is that Albertans have to support Albertans. We are good at what we do. It's common for uh, directors, producers, and others to come from outside of the jurisdiction and wanting to bring the people that they trust. It very much is a problem solving, and everybody's going to get into problems. People are judged by how they get out of those problems. And when you have a good problem solver around you, you want them on your next crew. So the only way you become a good problem solver is you see problems and you solve <laughs> and, and you solve you solve them. It's in the name. So yeah. so our crews. And as a business agent, um, I'm quite bullish about this. We want to give our crews the opportunity to show off. We're as good as anybody, anywhere. Damn straight. In the 35 years that I've been a line producer, production manager, I've hired thousands of people. If you look at the, uh, just picking on Brokeback Mountain again, if you look at that credit list, how many Albertans not only... Uh, were on that show, but grew on to bigger and better things after 2004. Mm. And it it's about creating that momentum. So every time I see someone overlooked here, I remember what it was like when I was 19, 20 years old, trying to convince people that I could do it. Yes. And, and, and you need people in your corner. Albertans need Albertans in their corner. I can tell from your reaction that you're very impressed with Under the Banner of Heaven. And, oh, love and it. yes, mm-hmm. that was made right here. Without much prep, they landed, they went at it, they finished it, and it's on, on the screen. We're very proud of these shows. You should be. They're mm-hmm. absolutely great. We have a fun question coming up. You know, our partnerships and donations manager, Lucia, who was supposed to host this episode today, had to be pulled away for some very serious SIF business, but she did have some questions. So this question comes to us from Lucia. You did location management on two of her favorite Alberta productions, Rad and Cool Runnings. She wants to know what went into selecting the locations for this film. And also, did you get to meet John Candy? (laughs) Oh, yes. And one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, John Candy arrived with an assistant. There was a crew of over 300 people within two days, maybe even within 24 hours. Everyone had a Toronto Argonaut sweatshirt, a Toronto Argonaut (laughs) t-shirt, a Toronto Argonaut hat. And on John Candy's first day of filming, everyone in the crew wore at least one thing that he'd given them. So Mm -hmm. that was at a time that John Candy, Bruce McNall, and Wayne Gretzky owned the Toronto Argonauts. And Larry Rickman owned the Calgary Stampeders. And I remember John Candy getting a yay Argonaut cheer from the uh, uh, Cool Runnings crew. And at the end, he said, top that, Mr. Rickman. (laughs) So, yeah, I met John Candy. He was a wonderful, wonderful inspiration to all. He truly is that nice guy. Uh, I, I couldn't say enough about him. Unfortunately, he passed too early, and it was on the very next film after Cool Runnings that that Mm -hmm. he passed. So he's very close to us here in Calgary. At night, he would visit restaurants and put on his chef's half, and he'd he'd do the cooking for the chefs. He was a a fun guy to be around. 
As far as, I mean, you've been a part of a lot of projects, but is there one that sticks out that you're particularly proud of or, or that would kind of top your, your list of being proud well, of the work that you've done? I won't mention the name, but some of the films that were really difficult and poorly run were my favorite because I learned most. And, mm. and I survived, and, and there's nothing. <laughs> yes. There's nothing more to be proud of than than surviving a bad experience and doing well. Although Brokeback Mountain might have been my most prolific and enjoyable experience on many levels, I was surrounded by incredible professionals. The job was made easy. To do it well wasn't easy, but to actually survive was easy on Brokeback Mountain. To get mm. to get the prize, boy, that, that took a lot of critical thinking and a lot of teamwork. But sometimes um, the film, when it's completely running afoul and you still pull it off, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like an overtime victory. Yeah. Well, it's sort of building on what you're saying there because it feels like you have had these experiences, um, you know, directors, actors, and creative people in general are pretty eccentric and sets can get pretty chaotic. And I'm sure, you know, after so many years in the industry, you've certainly had one or two of these experiences. But what would you say has been your craziest and most memorable on set moment that you're just like, oh, my God, that was a crazy day on set? Oh, that's a far too difficult a question to answer. <laughs> I, I can remember very funny conversations uh, for instance, on Brokeback Mountain, an unknown challenge was that uh, domestic sheep carry a dormant virus, which if it ever came in contact with wild sheep, would wipe out the herds. You know, if, oh, if, if they touch noses or uh, uh, they touch the feces, uh, the, the virus would wipe out herds. And mm. at one point I said to Ang, Jesus, it'd be a lot easier if it was cows. And he just just <laughs> gave me the look. Oh, you know where? That's not the story. Okay, it's, it's cheap. But uh, in the end, that's one of the reasons we shot at Moose Mountain. You never know how it all aligns. Moose mm. Mountain is actually separated from the eastern slopes, and the sheep and the deer don't tend to go to the ungulates. Don't tend to go to it because uh. they're too exposed to predators. And so since there weren't any goats or sheep there, they let us shoot on the one place in Alberta that they would allow us. And it happened to be physically the closest place to Calgary. Now, the logistical engineer being the production manager, I made it look inexpensive somehow because of that virus. Hmm. Instead of traveling to any mountain that we could, we were restricted only to Moose Mountain. And it happened to be the closest to Calgary, and that did wonders for the budget. Oh, the stars align. Stars align, and it's because it's in Alberta. One hell of a problem to fix, I'll tell you that. So before we get to my favorite part of the show, which is the games, and yes, there are games. Uh, before we play some games, you have to first answer the question all friends of SIF must answer. Every guest on the pod has had to go through it. What is your most embarrassing festival story? Well, I, I wouldn't so much call my most interesting story embarrassing. I'd call it a little bittersweet, perhaps. Okay, valid. Let's hear and, it. And uh, when we were doing a film here in 2017, there were 
a French executive producers. The film was called Hold the Dark. And at the same time, they were developing a film called Sisters Brothers. And okay. we had scouted the film uh, here in Alberta, not me. Uh, but I was already a business agent at this time. And I was quite involved with how the film would land in Alberta. The French company decided to shoot in Spain instead. Mm -hmm. And Sisters Brothers became a secret screening of SIF. And I went to see it. And it's a, oh, wow. it's a fabulous film. And during the whole film, I imagined what it would look like if it was shot in Alberta. <laughs> and realized that it could have been just as successful and just as nice. Yeah. The reason it went to Spain was for completely different reasons. And I'm sure the Atlantic Ocean had something to do with it. The, the movie was brilliant. I, I saw it as a bittersweet thing of something that we could have put on our credit list because mm. John C. Riley, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal would have loved to have worked oh. with him again. Jo uh, Joaquin Phoenix was also in the film. It, it, it really is a worthwhile film to watch. And I suppose the wonderful takeaway from that experience was I got to see a film made in Spain that could have been made here because of SIF. And so it mm. isn't just Southern Alberta's film industry that's on a world stage. It's SIF too. And that was the cool, yeah. cool sweet part of the, of the moment. The producers that I met on Hold the Dark were fabulous. Would have loved to collaborate with them again. But it wasn't to be. It's just not the way it worked out. Well, we mm. can miss one connection. We've done some, some pretty great work. We wish we had one more, but... Who knows? Maybe we'll get them back now that we have all these big productions. Who knows? Joaquin Phoenix, hit us up. Let's do it. <laughs> That's right. We know you're listening I right love... now. Yeah, yeah. We know you love movie night with Sif. Um, so, Tom, let me ask you, are you ready to play some games? Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's time to play One Star Reviews, the game where distinguished members of the film and television community try to guess films by hearing a bad review. This week's theme is Films Made in Alberta, perfectly appropriate for our wonderful guest today, Tom Benz. Tom, are you ready to go? Sure. Let's do it. First review. I wish I knew how to quit you. Oh, oh yeah? I wish I knew how to quit watching this halfway through when I was enjoying the happy movie about gay cowboys. That would be Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> of course it's Brokeback Mountain. Very good, Tom. Um, I also wish I stopped watching it before the sad ending. I was really loving Brokeback Mountain, and then it ended bad, and it made me sad. Review number two. This movie is just Brad Pitt looking hot, ugly crying, and horseback riding his way through his girl problems. Oh, uh, that's got to be Legends of the Fall. It is Legends ding, 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 of the ding, Fall. Ding, ding, ding. Congrats. All right, you're almost three for three here. Last one. True Detective, but with Mormons. That'd be Under the Banner of Heaven. Perfect score. Wonderful round, Ooh. Tom. Wow. Full pro. I didn't think I could do that. <laughs> you did really well. Next up, we have Out of the Box. In this game, we select five of the top highest grossing movies worldwide from any given year, and our lovely guests have to pick out the top three in order. Today, we're headed back to 1994. The five films are The Santa Claus, The Lion King, True Lies, The Flintstones, and Forrest Gump. Tom, can you choose which of those top three films are the highest grossing of 1994? Um, 
So that's Santa Claus, Lion King, True Lies, Flintstones, and the last one? Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Gump. This is a a good year. This is a really good year for movies. I don't know about the Santa Claus, but the other ones are good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, uh, and I have to do it in order. Not just, not just the top three. Yeah, highest to lowest. I'm going to go highest with Lion King. Okay. True Lies as okay. second. And I'm going to go wild with the Santa Claus. Ooh. <laughs> All right. The answer is number one, The Lion King. Number two, Forrest Gump. And number three, True Lies. <laughs> you know what? One out of three ain't, bad, of three ain't bad, considering you got a perfect round last round. Okay. I, I kind of liked the Santa Claus getting thrown in there. <laughs> well, you know what? I said to myself, I didn't watch the film. It's on this list. You know, it, it, mm. it, it's like betting on a, a horse that shouldn't win. <laughs> it's a good round either way. We are glad that you did really well in One Star Reviews, and we hope you had a lot of fun. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm always happy to uh, help Sif. Uh, it's really, really important for Calgary to have this arm. It does more than show off the industry. It shows off Calgary as a center. And uh, we're the movie industry is just one part of it. So always, mm. always happy to be involved with Sif. Well, Tom, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you, Matt, for being my lovely co-host today. Of course. I hope you all had a great time. And we'll see you next time on Movie Night with Sif. Bye. Great. Well, thanks very much. I enjoyed it. Okay. That's a wrap. 